by Celsius. It's a hump day edition, a Wednesday episode here. Hump day, as the Geico commercial goes. And we are talking about a little bit more of a specific topic today. We just had OTAs yesterday, and we mostly talked about that on yesterday's podcast. We could touch upon it today as well, too. But for Wednesday's episode, we're going to be talking about which Tampa Bay Buccaneers currently on the roster need to have a great training camp coming up. Who needs it the most? So we'll get into a lot of that today. I'm your host, Matt Matera, and joined with me is J.C. Allen, also of PeterReport.com. J.C., great to have you on the show today. So pumped that you could join me as we discuss this very fun topic today. Don't want to get Bucks fans too concerned because there's a long way to go, but there's a couple players that we do have our eyes on. But, J.C., how are you doing today? Doing great, you know, just living the dream out here in beautiful, sunny Florida. Uh and uh, I'm excited to get into this because there's a lot of players. I know OTAs just started, but there's a lot of players who really need to take these OTAs, build on them, and then bring that into training camp and build upon it further, especially a couple of guys, you know, vying for starting spots and starting roles on the team. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's really an important part that we have to harp on is some of these guys, if they were in different situations on another team where maybe the depth wasn't so great, then they can kind of, I don't want to say mosey because everyone's obviously here in the NFL and giving it their all, but they could get away with having a less than stellar type of OTAs and, and training camp. And as we talk right now, the Bucks finished up day two of their OTAs. We will be back at the facility next Wednesday. That's the next one that is open to the, the media. But um, yeah, because of the depth at some of the positions, especially wide receiver, there's a couple wide receivers that we're going to be talking about on today's show that really have to pick it up because it's going to be a survival of the fittest out there. One of those, of course, is Jalen Darden, who did have a nice day yesterday. Um, we talked about it a little bit on the podcast where Jalen Darden had a deep ball all the way down the field. He beat D Delaney, who was the best corner of the day. Like it was all D Delaney highlights. He broke up a pass that led to an interception. He had his own interception later picking off, Blaine Gabbard as he was covering tight end Cody McElroy on the play. So for Darden to get the better of D Delaney on that play, it was a very promising sign towards the end of practice. But uh, Jalen Darden, it's no secret that to everyone watching this that he's on this list because he was the the head logo of uh, of the the production today. But JC, just tell me your thoughts heading into this season about Jalen Darden. There's been a lot of discussion on him. Scott and I spoke about him yesterday about how we think the Bucs shouldn't pull the plug on him yet because he's only a second-year player. But what are your thoughts about Jalen Darden? Yeah, Darden's definitely – there's room for for improvement for sure in both aspects of what they really brought him in for, and that was as a return specialist and as a receiver. If you look at what he did in college his final year, he had the third most yards after catch in the country behind Devontae Smith and another player. I can't remember his name. Devontae Smith mm-hmm. stands out. But, you know, this guy, he was, he was very productive, very good. and. I heard you guys talking about it uh, yesterday early in camp. Like he was tearing it up. Like he looked really good in training camp to the point where they had to take him off the second team unit and put him with this, with the first team unit with Brady and 
Gabbert because he was just torching the second team cornerbacks. He was going, you know, not even midway through camp. He was going up against Carlton Davis and SMB and Jamel Dean because the competition that was just too less for him. And then obviously didn't translate into, into the game and, and the return ability didn't translate slip and slide. I know uh, is a big thing that people like to, to, to joke on him for, but, you know, I think there's still some something there. I, I and I, I agree with you guys. I don't think, I don't, I don't want to say he's not on the bubble, but I also don't think that he's the first name on that bubble either. He, he definitely needs to come in and prove and show that he's got a better understanding of the offense, better understanding of how to get open at against NFL level cornerbacks, uh, and also show consistent hands right in the in the receiving game. And as for a return game, you just got to go out there and you you got to take control of that role own it own it and show that i can do this i'm not you know i'm not going to dance around when i get the ball looking for holes i'm going to get the ball i'm going to and i'm going to boom i'm taking off i'm looking for that hole and show that good vision to to be able to return it for more than six seven yards to carry so um I see a path where he can definitely be a solid contributor on this team going forward. He's definitely got some of the shiftiness, some of the elusiveness as as a you know receiver with the ball as a ball carrier after he makes a catch, but just being more consistent in all all levels. And you know that's why he's he's on the on the graphic today. That's why he's the first guy we're talking about is because there's talent there. He just needs to be honed. And plus, he came from a smaller school as well, too. So we knew that jump, that level of competition jump was going to be something that would probably, um, you know, uh, you know, keep him from making that immediate jump as a contributor. But there's no excuses now. You're in you're in year two. JC, just to clarify, when you said he's not the first one on the bubble, are you talking in terms of the whole roster or in terms of the wide receiver position? Well, I mean, the whole roster, there's a lot of guys on the bubble. Yeah, that yeah. Really, you know, work to to save their jobs from younger players or up and coming players or even uh, veterans or free agents that were brought in. But on the wide receiver bubble, yeah, for sure. I mean, you're looking at, I think all those guys after Gage, it's, it's a fight. It's a battle. Yeah. Yeah, 100% agreed. I don't want you to name any names yet because we have a couple other wide receivers on this list that we'll get to. And just so everyone's aware, we're going to start with the offense because we have a couple more names on the offensive side of the ball that we feel really need to have a great OTA and training camp. Not as many players on the defense, but we'll get to both sides of the ball for sure. Shout out to Mark Fisher with, with this comment. I think it's a great point that he makes. And JC, you actually just spoke about it too before he even got a chance to put it up on the screen there, but he says Darden wowed a training camp last year, do it with the pads. And I agree. And JC, you just said it about that. He was playing so well that they moved him up to work with the starters or the key guys that were there at the time, like Blaine Gabbert. And we were all so impressed with that speed and with the way that he was able to move. But you remember too, that Bruce Arians got mad at him because he couldn't hold on to the ball, not mad, but like a BA type of mad. And you look at it like his stat line last year as well. It was all just the return game. I mean, he played in nine games. He had six catches for four to three yards. And a majority of that was in mop up duty late in the game when it was already decided. He had a uh, 19 punt returns for 147 yards. Uh, it averaged to 7.5 yards per return. And that even seems like it was too much. He did have one that went for 43 yards and that kind of skewed the numbers in his favor a little bit. And then um, as a kick return, he had 18 returns and averaged even, I believe, 
yeah, not 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 the best type of uh, kick return average too. So for Darden, I just think with the potential, and I get all the points that everyone makes and that you talked about too, JC, where, yeah, he comes from a small school, but he had a nose for the end zone. No one scored more than he did, or he was up there at the top. You know, no one made plays like he did. I really think with the current iteration of the roster, and it's it's Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Russell Gage, as you said, battle royale, open competition after that. With the skill set and the speed that Jalen Darden has, there's no reason why he can't win the fourth wide receiver this year. Just because based on the talent, I just think that he really needs to improve. Like he has to get better at that route running. He has to catch the ball. He has to prove that he can win one-on-one battles. His size worries me a little bit because he's on the smaller side and hopefully he's putting on muscle, you know, in the offseason or he has. I didn't see too much of a difference when I saw him at OTAs, but he's going to have to win those one-on-one battles because it's the only way that he's going to see the field this year. Yeah, and, and the thing about, too, is, like, the Bucks really put an onus on saying, you know, and we've talked about this, and, and John did a whole wonderful article about this two years ago about what the Bucks look for for their starting wide receivers, right? The, the, the size, the measurables, the three-cone time. When they're drafting a wide receiver high or looking at a wide receiver high, they put a lot of onus into that. When they're looking for a later round, fourth round, and later – and undrafted free agency, they don't care about as much as the measurables that they that they tend to look for. And we saw that with undrafted free agency. He's not going up against one guy who's around the same height as he's going up against three guys right now that are all the same amount of height. And two of them had tremendous production and Jared Stearns and uh Kalen Geiger and Devin Tompkins played Devin well Tompkins too. As well. I mean, all these guys are five nine or under. I mean, Stearns is only five seven. But they and Cerns had the most production out of all of them, 150, 150 receptions, yeah. <laughs> 17 touchdowns. So I mean, he's got some real competition against from these guys, and they're going to give him everything they can. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out because I think you're looking at you've got your one group of wide receivers, and I won't mention their name; they're a little bit bigger, or whatever. And then you've got their other, this other group of of wide receivers that are on the smaller side. And those guys, I feel like, are really competing against each other for one of these last spots. Whether the Bucks keep five or six, you know, is going to be an interesting storyline because, again, what, what do they? Whether they keep five running backs or they mm-hmm. keep, you know, four tight ends with Coke Keith and everything. Like, like, what are they going to? If Gronk comes back, when Gronk com- comes back, what are they going to do? How are they going to split the roster around? And not not much is going to change. But we still saw this this offense run out of eleven person, uh, twelve personnel a lot last year too. Mm-hmm. So. What do they do? How many do they keep? We know that this is going to be a extreme battle with Darden and these younger guys, and also against right. And and that's the thing is Darden's not just competing against the veteran players and the receivers that have been on here for the roster. As you just made your point, you know Stearns is probably one of my favorite receivers that I've watched oh. you know, over the rookie minicamp and, and the OTAs too. So there's a chance. And again, he's not the the size that the Bucks typically look for, but if you can ball, you can ball. And that punt return opportunity that position that role on this team again is a wide open battle royale because we saw it yesterday where you had scotty miller you had smb you had stearns back there so there's a number of different guys that was darden's role last year but that's not to say that he's going to have it this season by any means uh we got a super chat here from william butler thank you so much william stays on the topic of wide receiver but a different wide receiver of course thank you william for the 499 super chat he says fellas when should we expect Chris Godwin back, in your opinion? Worst case and best case. So we actually asked 
or I should say it was asked to Todd Bowles yesterday about when Chris Godwin could be back because he was at the facility, but he was not practicing during OTAs. We, there's actually a picture of him. We posted it on Peter Reports Twitter, so you can well, check it out there. Cookie with the most like magical face. Like, I want one of those cookies. <laughs> I don't Wait, know. If what? Like, but there's a guy in the in the picture. Oh yeah, <laughs> and he just has his most like euphoric like expression on his face like this is the best cookie of my life i was like they don't give us cookies at one buck i want a cookie but sorry go ahead i got sidetracked yeah no you're good i mean <laughs> i i have a sweet tooth so anytime i see something good dessert related or cookie related uh, i'm definitely down with that but Bowles was asked about that and pretty much the point he said is that he doesn't he's not setting a timetable he chris godwin is not going to be back yet he'll be ready when he's going to be ready when he gets to practice he'll be at practice so not really too much of an update there. The last we spoke to Chris Godwin, he said that rehab was going well, but he said the same thing about he doesn't want to put a timetable on it because once you start doing that, if you don't reach that date, then it feels like a failure or, you know, you just have that mind. You just have that mindset set up where you're only going to that date, whether it be, you know, August 15th, August 27th, whatever it might be. So I, in my estimation, and I'm not a doctor, and after speaking to Godwin and speaking to Bowles, I get the sense that Godwin will make an appearance at some point during training camp. Um, it's tough to say. Like I again, I don't want to put a date on it either. Like I don't, I don't know if it's going to be after the first preseason game and he comes back. But I don't think it'll be September and Godwin hasn't at least had a practice yet with the Bucks. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. And for me, the biggest, like the the most telling. Um, part of that press conference with, with Bulls yesterday was he said he's obviously he's better than where he was, but he's not where he needs to be. And that kind of made me think, and I've, I've been kind of want, like pondering on that since since he said it last last uh, yesterday. What does that mean when he's not where he needs to be? Is he just like general coach? Well, he's not where he needs to be, or like is yeah. he not where he need, where he should have been? Is there a delay? Is he a little bit behind? Is he not where they expected him to be right now? Um, but then he followed up with he works hard too. So this is one of those biggest things, you know, the tr most trickiest things because it's an ACL tear. And as, as Scott eloquently puts it, players usually aren't the same right away after an ACL tear. It usually takes them a little while. So do you want to throw him out in the fire? Do you, you know, if he's ready to go, ready to go, Right. Start him week one against Dallas. But if he's yeah. not where he's if he's not Chris Godwin and there's any chance, I don't want to rush him is what I'm trying to say. I don't want to rush him. I would ra much rather see him week five against I think it's the Atlanta Falcons um, at home. And I think that for me is the worst case scenario. Week five. Best case scenario is what you said. He's ready for training camp, ready to roll. I just don't see that happening. But I think if you start the season keep him out until week five, let him go against the, the Falcons. Get Let's get past green Bay and Kansas city. Um, it's going to be a tougher challenge without him there at the same time. You know, you're going to get your best from those two teams. Definitely keep him out for the saints. Cause they'll try to injure him again. <laughs> Just kidding. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it, it, I don't know. It's going to, it's definitely interesting to see what the comments have been, where he says he's been and trying to put all that together in a puzzle piece. I mean, we're in may, but training camp starts July 25th reportedly. That's right around the corner. I mean, that's a month. That's a month, two months away. So can he make the progress in two months to start training camp? Or is it more he starts August 25th towards the end? Of, I don't know. And listen, we need to understand, too. Bucks fans need to understand. 
we all want Chris Godwin back ASAP, as, yes. you know, a, as quickly as possible. But <laughs> we also have to understand the long-term game, all right? They signed Godwin to a long-term extension. And everyone was thrilled about that. But would you rather have Chris Godwin in September and things don't go right, he came back too early and there's more issues with that knee? Or would you make sure and know that you're going to have Chris Godwin in December when you're on the playoff run getting ready for the postseason? Every single Bucks fan would sign up to guarantee that Godwin's going to be at full health, at full strength in December. And whether Godwin comes back in May, July, August, October, November, December, everyone's going to be so pumped up, so excited, so energized to see Chris Godwin back, much like when you get energized by drinking Celsius energy drinks. JC is rocking. What are you rocking there, JC? Uh, this is the jackfruit. Awesome. Oh, yeah, I've had the jackfruit before. The tall boys, right? Yeah, the 300 milligrams. Yeah, yeah awesome. I, I got the sparkling. The I'll be. Yeah, <laughs> I got the uh, sparkling orange pomegranate there. But as you see on the screen now, there are so many different flavors of Celsius energy drinks. You got your tropical vibe. You got your sparkling kiwi guava, the strawberry, the orange, the wild berry. There are so many different flavors, and they are all fantastic. There is no other energy drink company that takes all these flavors and are able to get the exact same taste in a can. So it's the variety and the taste of it that is amazing, as you'll see here as well, too. They got new ones, uh, the Arctic vibe, the tropical vibe, and the peach vibe. Shout out to our guy, Leighton Carter, who's been a huge fan of Peter Report for a very long time. He tweeted us showing the, the Arctic vibe recently, and he was enjoying that. But you have so many different options, and you drink it because you get that energy that you need, whether you're going through a work day, you have a long drive, maybe you got a game coming up, and you want to be ready for it. So you get all the energy and the flavor and the taste that you enjoy. But none of the downside. There's none of those, you know, the the, the post crash jitters that you get. Maybe feeling sluggish after you're coming down from energy uh, from a Celsius energy drink. That just doesn't happen when you drink Celsius energy. Oh. And make sure everyone you go, you can go to Amazon, use promo code Pewter, order some Celsius. They'll send it right to your door. You could set up the times of the of the packages too, whether they come in two weeks or three weeks. You can get it on Amazon. You can go to your local bodega close to you. They have it everywhere. And also make sure, too, that you check out the Celsius Fast Brands Energy Bars. Uh, I mean, they are as good as the drinks are. The, the bars are just as good. Keep packing that same flavor. And it doesn't break and crumble in your hand like other bars. So make sure you go to Celsius.com for more information. See the store locator. See if there's one near you. Or order it on Amazon, like I said. So that's Celsius Energy Drinks and Celsius Fast Brands. You can't go wrong either way, JC, because Celsius is changing the world, some would say. It's it's definitely amazing. It's a game changer, for sure. I mean, and then also the best thing, too, is it helps burn body fat, too. So, like, if you do work out or whatever, it's you can drink it before your workout, and it will actually boost that boost your metabolism while also helping you burn body fat too. So I mean, it's I I have a I actually have a empty Arctic vibe over here that I need to clean up <laughs> the studio. But yeah, I mean, they're they're my strawberry lemonade, as Nate said too. That's my favorite flavor. It's I don't know if you found it yet, but it's it's easily the top flavor I think. Yeah, Scott was drinking cola the other day too. So uh, yeah, I mean, like there's so many different flavors. It's unbelievable. And speaking of Celsius, uh, another player on the Bucks, and we're sticking with the wide receiver theme who 
has been on the Peter Report podcast before and has been sponsored by Celsius is uh, Scotty Miller. And we're talking about Scotty Miller because he's another player that, in my opinion, and I think in most people's opinions, needs to have a good training camp coming up. Now, Scotty, the situation is um, is very different. Shout out to Nate here. He says, strawberry lemonade is awesome. Growing on me quickly, JC. So, again, all types of different flavors. So, Scotty, and you heard a lot of the coaches talk about it. Kevin Garver mentioned it, especially Byron Leftwich mentioned it, where the injuries really – injuries hurt in general, but the injuries really hurt Scotty Miller because it really – hampered what he was able to do. He didn't get to play in a full season. He played in nine games again, had five receptions for 38 yards, 30 plus yards. So really wasn't a factor at all on offense. Um, had some rushing plays at the the end of the season. He had two rushes for 43 yards and a touchdown. And he scored a touchdown. I, I believe that was the Carolina game. I think so, mistaken. yeah. It was, uh, um, but Scotty did make an impact as a gunner on um on yes. the punt team so he had one fumble recovery and he had another play where it was pretty much a forced fumble yeah. they called it a, like a muffed punt but the uh, it was returner if the returner like bobbled it and then scotty hit it got that got down there so fast because he's you know one of the fastest guys on the team got down there so quickly pummeled the returner the ball was loose and the bucks ended up uh recovering it so scotty i think still has an opportunity to make it as a receiver but I wouldn't be shocked if Scotty makes it as like the fifth or sixth receiver, but has a main steady role as a as a gunner on this team. Yeah, and the thing about Scotty too is, you know, we I've said it, uh, I've said he's a one trick pony. You can only do one thing. The biggest thing for Scotty was show that that's not true. That he can do multiple things. And you mentioned it too last year. He, you know, he was he wasn't involved as much. Um, did have a big game. What was it? Week two against the Rams. He started before he got injured. He was starting to, to show up a little bit or week three rather. And then obviously the turf toe set in. And at that point, once he came back, Cyril Grayson blew up. They brought in Brashad Perryman and these other guys started elevating their game. So it's tough for Scotty to work his way back in there coming off injury. So he's going to have to have a good camp, not a, without a doubt. And he's going to have to show up on special teams. As a gunner, he's going to have to show up as a wide receiver, showing that he can do more than just run straight down the field and become a better blocker, which is the biggest thing, because I think that's one of the biggest things that will carry over from Byron to Bruce is the blocking, especially in, in this uh, offense. So Brashad Perriman has similar speed and can also, as a bigger body, can play a little bit on the outside as well as a slot and is a much better blocker. So if, if, if Scotty wants to beat Brashad out, if he wants to earn that spot, it's not just going to be on special teams. It's going to have to be um, in everywhere else. It's going to have to be the grimy catches. It's going to be the dirty work putting his nose in the, into the blocking game. It's going to have to be all those different areas. And I think he's got the ability to do it, but you know, it, it's it's going to take, like I said, it's going to take a great camp and he's going to have to really show out. And he's got a lot of competition here now and not just some of the guys they brought in. They brought in Cam Brown again. They got Vincent Smith, who's looked pretty good, former Jet that you that, that you should know about a little bit. And then they also brought in, they still have Travis Johnson from last year as well. Yeah. Bucks praised up and down for his ability on the scout team, former cornerback at Montana. Um, so, I mean, there's... There's competition here all over the place at wide receiver. And 
I don't think the Bucks is still ruled out bringing another guy in. And I know the, the hottest name and everyone wanted Landry and the hottest name is still Julio Jones, but there's still plenty of other veteran wide receivers. I really like Keelan Cole before he signed with the Raiders, but I don't know. And, and Todd Bowles said this yesterday. He said, you know, we're, we're fine with where our roster is at, but let me just, so I don't misquote him. Um, we're fine with where our roster is at, but there's some spots we're possibly looking at bringing in. So one of those spots could potentially be wide receiver because you're, you know, you've got all this talent and all this depth. But really, if Godwin is out till week five, now you're thrusting one of these guys who are in the battle royale, so to speak, into that wide receiver three role. And if you know if Gronk doesn't come, let's just say worst case scenario. Godwin misses the first month. Gronk doesn't come back. Now it's like okay, we're now, yeah. Now they need now they need another piece, and now they need another piece. Sorry, right. you know, last year too when Godwin got hurt, they were bailed out a little bit because they really just started throwing it in different position, but they started throwing it to Leonard Fournette more, and like Leonard Fournette really solidified himself as a guy that the Bucks really want for next season and the upcoming seasons because they signed him two three year deal, but. Going back to Scotty, and I wouldn't be surprised either if they if they added in another uh, if they added another wide receiver to this team, because and so one of the receivers that I didn't have on this list is Rashad Perryman because I think with Perryman the Bucks know what they're going to get in him. He's a veteran guy who still has speed, doesn't have the best hands, but is is an efficient route runner that has played in this offense before and he understands it. Now right. for Scotty. This is where I think one of this might be one of the first times that we see a little bit of a difference between Bruce Arians calling the shots and Todd Bowles calling the shots and allocating a lot of, I mean, Byron Leftwich already had a lot of responsibility, but maybe letting Leftwich make a couple of more decisions on the offensive side of the ball that maybe Arians might end up just going with his gut on it. And as you mentioned, Arians really wanted Scotty Miller to go and get the, the, the grimy catches and everything you said. Now, when Leftwich spoke a week or two ago, whenever that was, he said for this year what he wants to see Scotty. He just said he just wants to see Scotty be Scotty. Well, we know what that means. That's Scotty going down the field and necessarily and being a, a deep threat. Is that the only thing that he can necessarily do? He can catch some balls underneath, but his biggest threat is when he goes down the field. Now, was it just Arians I was unhappy with? That's all he can do when teams know, okay, well, they're going deep on this play because Scotty Miller's here? Or... Does Leftwich want to implement that more so it can open up some things underneath? And therefore, if you have all these safeties back, then you can go to Chris Godwin if he's healthy underneath. Then you can go to Russell Gage. I think that might be the first situation, and we're not going to find out just from one day of OTAs or the other two days of OTAs when we go. That's that's going to be more of a, a training camp thing specifically. But I really do think that this could be one of the situations where uh, Leftwich and Bowles as the head coach might have a little bit of a difference of opinion when it comes to Scotty Miller. We had one more wide receiver on this list. I actually added it late. Um, we didn't have it originally, but we must have glossed over it. Um, and it's a guy that was a little bit, there were some talks about him last year, and then he got thrown into a, a bigger role this year, but didn't necessarily have the success that you want to see Peter Johnson. Uh, JC, I'll ask you, you can agree or you can disagree. Do you think Tyler Johnson falls into the category of one of these players that really needs to, uh, step it up with a better camp this year? 
Yeah, and you know, I think part of that is because they did give him such a uh, opportunity to have a bigger role. It started off in camp where he came in out of shape, and that was a big thing. Um, and that kind of trickled into the season. Obviously, when injuries came up, he he was able to have more of a role, but he just didn't. He he had some costly drops, and I'm looking at PFF right now. It said he only had three drops on the season. Was targeted 53 times, caught 36 receptions for 360 yards, zero touchdowns. Um, so you know, not exactly what you'd like to see. Uh, he had an overall grade of 55.4 for PFF. So I mean, that's not what you like to see when you're giving a guy an opportunity to have have a bigger role in the offense. And, you know, then obviously injuries set in in that Rams game. He goes down. Um, So, you know, I I don't think – and, again, he was only a fifth-round pick. So I don't think anything's locked in. I don't think anything is secure for him that he's uh, 100% going to be the guy. They gave him the opportunity. He didn't really show much progression from his – from his rookie season into his sophomore year. And this this junior year is going to be a big year for him. This is the year too, Matt, that we generally talk about wide receivers taking that third-year jump, right? Um, so he's going to have to do that. The problem with him is he didn't show good separation ability, and we know kind of speed knocked him down a little bit in the draft. Um, he's going to have to work on that and just become a technician as a route runner. And I don't know what he's putting to work for because, you know, there's guys who aren't, aren't super fast who can just create separation because of their route running ability. I think Jarvis Landry is actually one of them. Um, so he's going to just have to make sure he, he, he develops that part of his game. And the hope is that he spent the entire offseason doing that and working. You know, you want to see you – know, I follow a lot of these guys on Instagram and stuff like that. And some guys you can see are working every single day. They're posting videos. Hey, I'm working. And Jalen Darden is one of them. He's working. Jalen Darden has been nonstop working every single day after the season. He's posting a video almost every day. I didn't see so much from Tyler Johnson. Um, and and I kind of wonder if he's like, hey, I'll prove it on the field or, I'll, you know, I'm, don't look at – not a look at me guy. But that's what I want to see. I want to see that he worked on it and he's improved on it and let's go. Jalen Darden also goes on Instagram live all the, all time. the time. It's unbelievable. And it's always, it's always like for a minute, <laughs> you know, it's never like a long, it's, never, it's just for like a song too. He doesn't answer any questions. He doesn't really talk to anybody. He just yeah. there and like listen to a song driving or whatnot. <laughs> yeah. He's a, uh, I guess he's like, all right, this is my jam. I just want everyone else to enjoy it. Uh, like right. I am, but going back to Tyler Johnson, it's interesting with him because I felt last year he had a really good training camp. I know Bruce Arians wasn't happy with him first. He wanted him to like lose some weight and, and get it going. But once he did, once he was here and and uh, you know balling out every day, he was up there as one of the top wide receivers in training camp. Now, understandably, you know we know what we're going to get with uh, you know with Mike Evans and and players of that caliber. But Johnson, I thought, was great in training camp, and then for whatever reason, it didn't necessarily translate into the regular season. Now, JC, you mentioned he had 36 catches for 360 yards. He had a couple solid games. Like against the Rams, he had three receptions for 63 yards. A couple weeks later, he had five receptions for 65 yards. So he's capable. And he had a pretty good game um, two seasons ago against the, the Bears, the Thursday night debacle. Yeah, the but he pl- he played very well in that game. So, I yeah, everyone remembers it for that. <laughs> I think... I think Johnson still has the potential, but he hadn't. I just remember too, especially late in the season, and 
towards the playoffs as well, too. There was just some times where, sure, it might not have been the best throw, but it was third down. It's just like, come on, man, we really need you to make that catch. So I agree with you with everything that you said in terms of he needs to win those battles. He needs to win those one-on-one routes. That's just a staple of this Buccaneers offense, regardless of who the coach is or who the offensive coordinator is. That's that's really, you know, that's the M.O. of the offense. So a lot of these wide receivers that we talked about so far just haven't won those one-on-one battles. And we'll see if the undrafted rookies can do it with Tompkins and Brown. And uh, and, and pass blocking, too, yeah. is another thing that he's going to have to improve. And, I mean, PFE ha- PFF has him for zero pass blocking snaps last season at all. So, I mean, if he's going to – if he wants to be uh, a every-down contributor like – the rest of the guys are. He's going to need to be able to throw his body around and, and, and you know, help in the running game because I think you heard Bull said that's where they're going to look for this year is to have a little bit more balance, but it's not going to – they're not going to handicap themselves, but they would like more balance in the running game. But if they have to throw 60 times, whatever. If they have to run 60 times, whatever it's going to be to help them win. But the blocking game just doesn't start up front. It starts yeah. – it also includes the wide receivers as well. And I think for any of these running backs to have a chance, especially one of these guys who is working his way to hopefully have a role in this team, they're going to need help from the guys on the outside as well. Yeah, agreed. And Common Sense says here, TJ, too slow and started dropping the ball a lot. He had some drop issues. I wouldn't categorize him as you know a guy that is always going to worry that you have to worry about with the drops. I w- would almost say like you would have to worry about Jalen Darden dropping the ball more than uh, more than Tyler Johnson. But I agree with your point about blocking too. And blocking, a lot of it is a mindset. And JC, I don't know about you, but my mindset would be a lot better too if I won $10 million like you can here with Best Ball Mania 3 at Underdog Fantasy. And folks, let me tell you, the best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Their Best Ball Mania 3 tournament has $10 million in total prize money, and the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team, and that's it. Last year, they had someone that won $2 million. They drafted their team in June. So the earlier you do it, the better. Uh, The best part is, too, you just draft your fantasy football team, that's it. There's no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. You just set it and forget it. You don't have to worry about different bye weeks, injuries, what defense they're playing against. It's all good to go right after you draft your team. Uh, Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season and the highest scores at the end of the year win. The champion of best ball mania last year, like I said, they drafted in June. So there's no time like the present to uh, you know go to Underdog and take your shot at a million-dollar draft. Plus, Underdog Fantasy is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code Pewter. That's four free entries into Best Ball Mania 3. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the app and sign up for Underdog Fantasy with the promo code Pewter and draft your Best Ball Mania 3 team today. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code Pewter. And Underdog Fantasy also has a lot of other cool things as the season gets closer too. Pewter Report will have a couple Underdog Fantasy leagues. You have to set it and forget it as we just talked about with Best Ball Mania 3. They also have a lot of um daily and weekly events too so if there's one particular week you think the bucks are gonna go off and score 55 points and you want to make sure you get you know Leonard Fournette and Mike Evans in your lineup 
you could do a, a weekly fantasy where you try to bet those players. If yeah, it's Monday cool. Night Football and you're like, I feel good about this game, you can go and just do a Monday Night Football one. So, again, go to underdogfantasy.com for more information. And, again, use the promo code Peter. All right. We talked cool enough about – They got cool prop bets, too, and they got some verses as well where you, they, they pick yes. players in the same game against each other. So definitely a cool thing. Before we jump into the next position, I just wanted to quickly address this question. Um uh, Pushimi asked where John's been. John actually retired from sports media, and uh, most of you know this. And he started a uh, a new career, new chapter of his life. Spoke with him the other day. He's doing great. Family settled in. He's getting you know going through new the house. Trip. It's new house, uh, right on the water too. So he's doing great. He definitely misses y'all, and we'll definitely tell him you know that that y'all miss him and been thinking about him as well. But yeah, and before we do jump to the next one, I just there's we didn't put Kyle Trask on here for obvious reasons, but I think Kyle Trask definitely needs to have a good camp. But for me, I'm in the Clyde Christensen camp. You know, Blaine Gabbert was brought back for, for a huge reason. That's because he's his eye, he's Brady's eyes and ears on the sideline. How many times have we seen Brady come off the sideline after a frustrating series and go sit next to Blaine and Blaine shows him on the, on the surface pro, this is this, this and that. So I think Trask definitely has to have a good camp with the opportunities he's going to get, but I don't think he's, he's as much of a, as a, needs to have a good camp um, this year more so than next year. I agree completely. But if it's a year from now and we view Trask the same way that we do at the moment, then Kyle Trask will be on this list. I can right. I can tell you that. Uh, with, with Trask, too, it's still just learning about what type of quarterback they're getting. And I think we learned that already from OTAs, just understanding, all right, he throws a better ball when he's thrown to the right side as opposed to the left. He can hit those timing routes and hit the outside more towards the right-hand side. But there's a long way to go and a lot more coaching up to do with, with Kyle Trask. And, um, yeah, that's why he's not going to be on this list, too. There's a couple guys that are going to take the next step, which might be a topic for tomorrow's uh, conversation. But these are more guys that really need to play better or else they might not be on the team this year. And as we stick with the offense, we'll move to the running back position. The next guy I have on the list is Keyshawn Vaughn because Keyshawn Vaughn might have already seen his replacement with Rashad White getting drafted in the third round by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'm not, I'm not like against Keyshawn Vaughn. I think he's okay in his role, but the Bucs never really had too much of a receiving running back until they, they got Giovanni Bernard, but Bernard got hurt last year. And you have Leonard Fournette, who's going to be your every he's going to be your every down back. You know, he's going to be there for all three downs if the Bucs want to go in that direction. Vaughn, they were hoping, could get into that situation, but he dropped a lot of balls in training camp, in the preseason, in games, too. And then when he got in and he had his chance to be a starter, remember, Leonard Fournette did not play in um did not play in the, the the postseason game. So it was a lot of Keyshawn Vaughn, and Ronald Jones got hurt towards the end of the year, too. So Vaughn had his moment, right. and the signature play was the touchdown run against the Carolina Panthers, and that was awesome. That was sick. But you look at him outside of that, didn't really do too much. Now, he's a pretty solid pass blocker, and that's one way to get on the field. But with Rashad White right here, and you already know it's going to be Fournette, and right. you already know it's going to be uh, Giovanni Bernard is the third down back. I don't know necessarily if Keyshawn Vaughn's job is in jeopardy, but Rashad White is coming to be the starter eventually in, you know, two years from now. But this year, Rashad White could definitely win the second running back role 
and take a lot of snaps and make a contribution to this team when Leonard Fournette is on the sideline. So this is a really, really crucial year for Keyshawn Vaughn. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I was I really liked him coming out. I thought, you know, he played with Vanderbilt behind, you know, the 128th ranked offensive line in the nation. You saw what he did to LSU the year they won the championship was really good. Um, his rookie year was, you, you know, for a running back, you know, he missed all of OTAs, all of uh, training camp, all of rookie minicamp because there was COVID, so there was none. So they put him at a clear disadvantage. Yeah. Last year he got opportunities, didn't really – Make the he made the most of some of them, right? He finished the year with with five plays of 10, 10 or more, including that fifty five yarder um, against Carolina. Um, he still had, you know, he, he didn't have as many, uh, you know, fumble issues as as the season went on. Uh, last year, he he definitely, you know, put the ball on the ground more than once. Um, but for me too, we got to see a little bit of his explosiveness and. Uh, PFF has him as 12 forced missed tackles and his, his, his elusiveness. So he's going to have to definitely have a big game. There, there's no, I mean, a big camp. There's no doubt about it to, to, you know, prevent falling to fourth on the depth chart. Do I think his roster spots in jeopardy? Probably not. They didn't bring a running back in after rookie minicamp when they had uh, Patrick Laird and, and Jordan Jason there. Um, they, and right now they only have five on the roster and Kenyon Barner is not really known for his running ability. He's more of a, of a returner. So I don't think his job is necessarily um, in jeopardy this year, but he needs to show that he can be a, a, a competent member of that running back role and room and committee. If they, if they choose to go. So uh, with Fournette wrapped up for three years with now, uh, Rashad White wrapped up for four years. He's got two years left on his deal this year and next year. So it's going to be a a big test for him to show that he can go out there and and be that guy. He can go out there, and when his number is called, he's not going to average three yards a carry. He's going to get the more four and a half, five, six yards per carry when it's his turn and really make some plays and make some electricity because if not, he's going to see the bench, and they're going to see what the rookie can do. It'll be difficult for Vaughn because you know that Fournette's going to be the guy for the next three years. And the contract that they gave him, they're not going to bench Fournette for Vaughn, even if it's, you know, next season. And I have all the confidence in the world in Lenny, so I don't even want to speak yeah. that, uh, you know, into uh, it, into the air and, and the existence here. But um, for Vaughn, too, you know, there's a lot of running backs that find a niche on their team or niche, however you want to call it. You know, like like Darren Sproles. Everyone loves Darren Sproles. He was never going to be the number one running back on a team, but he did it as a punt returner. He did it as a third down back, being a, a very versatile player and a, and a great receiver. I just don't see where Vaughn is going to necessarily get that on this team because White's going to be there, and you know White has four years on his contract. And even if Giovanni Bernard, if this is his last year and I know he's a veteran, then I just see white taking those third down right. roles. And I, I don't know where Vaughn. That's if Fournette gets off the field. I mean, yeah. And, and that's the thing with Vaughn. He needs to prove because he's not playing again because of the Fournette contract. Vaughn's not playing to earn like that multi-year deal with the box. He's just, unfortunately, he's never going to get that because of the deal that they have with Fournette and because of drafting Rashad White. But he can, obviously, if he plays well, he could probably get a contract from another team. And we understand 
it's tough with running backs. It's really difficult. You're not going to get the the type of pay that you want, but you still want to be an NFL player. So you just got to, he's got to carve out that role somewhere because at this point of his career, no team's going to sign him and be like, all right, you're our number one running back. That's just, it's just not the case. He hasn't earned it or he hasn't really showed it, but that's what he needs to do for himself, let alone to help the Bucs, but for himself in the future, that's really going to be what he needs to do if he wants to get a second contract in this league. Um, as we close things out with the offensive side of the ball, we're going to move to two offensive linemen right now. One is Fred Johnson, and the other is Aaron Stinney, who is competing to be the starting left guard with Luke Gadecki, Nick Leverett, and uh, Robert Hainsey. So, JC, I'll give this one to you. I guess we could start with Fred Johnson. He was one of your suggestions. Um, you could take this in any direction that you want. You could talk about Stinney as well, too. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go Stinney first. And, sure. and for Stinney, I think, because I think you just brought it up with Keyshawn Vaughn, right? He's not playing to to get a big deal somewhere else. And a rookie deal versus a veteran minimum deal are two different numbers, and teams usually like to go with a rookie deal, the guy that they fell in love with that they drafted. So with Stinney, he's got a big opportunity here. He needs to try to go win that job, at least even if it's just for the first quarter of the season for six games of the season until uh Kadecki beats him out because if he doesn't he's relegating himself to a career backup role and, and you know when he's put good tape on as a starter because he's a free agent again next year so for him if he doesn't have a good camp if he gets beaten out immediately and we know the coaching staff I mean Bull said it last week you know he's excited to see Gadecki out there they want to see Gadecki win this it's it's almost like Stinney is given the first opportunity but his back is up against the wall because they want to see someone beat him out now that they don't trust him this they dropped this guy early they liked what they saw on tape so Stinney has to go out there and he's just got to be a mauler now the biggest thing that I think works in Stinney's favor is what uh, was said by um, Joe Gilbert the offensive line coach communication is going to be key Stinney's best friends with, with Donovan Smith, you know, and, and they yeah. are like this out at practice. They walk out at practice. They talk at practice, you know, and I don't know the relationship off the field, but I'm sure it's pretty tight as well. So I think that gives them a leg up. But if he's going to set himself up for, if not a, you know, another contract with the Bucks, because I think they're pretty good at depth right here going, moving on next year with the drafting of Gadecki. And I don't know if Stinney is going to be a priority for them to bring back, especially at the one and a half, two million he might command. But for another team to say, all right, you know, this guy put some good tape. He was a starting caliber guard in the Super Bowl. He filled in those other three games in the NFC Championship. He, he played well last in 2021 in that season. Let's give him a shot to come and battle for our job. Um, he needs It needs to start in camp, and he needs to win that job out the get-go, even if he loses it in the season. That's what I think needs to happen for Stinney, or he's going to put himself in a precarious situation going forward with his career. Yeah, it's another situation where it, this is this player needs to have a good training camp, more for the betterment of himself than the actual Buccaneers. Because at the end of the day, whether it's Hainsey, Gadecki, Stinney, Leverett, whoever wins that job is going to earn that job as the starting left guard. So I don't think the Bucs are going to be in a bad situation at all. But Stinney, he's got a great thing going for him for the fact that he played in that Super Bowl run and he showed that he could be a formidable starter and win a championship with this team, which is essentially, for the most part, the same type of roster that's uh, that's in place and, and intact. So Stinney, too, you obviously have to worry about that, for again, for his sake, not for the Bucs' sake. Like, the Bucs traded up only in a couple picks, but nonetheless, they traded up 
to get Gadecki. So they really saw something in this guy that they really liked in the first place. But as you mentioned, one-year contract. If he doesn't win this job, sure, maybe he could just stay and be a career backup. But everyone wants to, unless you're a fan of Blue Mountain State and you want to be the backup quarterback, which I made a reference to Blue Mountain State a couple years ago. And uh, Mark Cook, RIP, and Scott had no idea what I, what I was talking about. So I hope a couple people listening and watching to this know what I'm talking about with uh, with Blue Mountain State. But anyway, Aaron Stinney, I don't think necessarily wants to be that guy that, that's sitting on the bench the whole time. So this is a big year for him to win a starting job and then earn a starting job if it's not with the Bucks with another place somewhere else. So again, more for him necessarily than for the Bucks. Now, Fred Johnson... Interesting situation because Wells has been the primary backup tackle over you know the, the last couple of seasons. They had Joe Hagan there as well that could kind of transition from both, and they put him on the end too. We all know the big play. He didn't make the, the catch from the Super Bowl. A nice defensive play as well too. But Fred Johnson, this is more about making the team. And I, I want to see too because if he makes the squad, I think, and we'll see what happens Like if he makes it and Wells doesn't or the Bucks decide to keep both. I would think, and I understand when Wells played, it wasn't ideal and it wasn't, you know, the, the greatest performance of all time. But also, when you bring in backup linemen for the most case, that's what made Stinney so great is because his transition there was seamless, where the rest of the league, that's not always the case. So I know Wells struggled a little bit in that game, especially against the Rams, but I still think overall the Bucks have solid depth when it comes to the offensive line. I'm not going to say great depth. But I like it. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, and with Fred Johnson, too, I mean, this is another guy who, not only for the Bucks, because I think, you know, Josh Wells, great player, 32 years old, stepped in last year, played on an injury, didn't really get the job done. I think if you look at Fred Johnson, he's on his last leg, too. I mean, he could be out of the league if this doesn't work out. Uh, undrafted yeah. guy, signed with Cincinnati. Cincinnati gave him an exclusive rights free agent tender. Then they when it got Lael Collins and made all these splashes on the offensive line, withdrew that tender, making him a free agent, waving him, and no team claimed him. Now, we know that this team was high on him, um, you know, coming out of the draft. They didn't draft him, but they did like him as a prospect out of Florida, brought him in this season, but no team claimed him. He's on a veteran minimum deal for his for his um, time in the league so like he's got this big opportunity ahead of them now he's proven he can play right tackle i mean last year he played 90 he played 90 snaps for the Bengals. 53 of them were at right tackle and he finished with a great run blocking game 83.6 run blocking he needs to work on his pass blocking which is going to be huge he let up one sack in those 53 in those 90 snaps he played but um you know he does offer a little bit of versatility he's big guy 67326 but he has played some at guard as well um he's going to have to show that he can handle the both responsibilities on the right side and the left side because it's it's two different things and as we heard from from Joe Gilbert again you know getting that playing on the right side and stepping back one way and your hands one way to do the left side and, and using your hands another way, stepping back. It's not something everyone can learn. I mean, if it was that easy and if people were going to be that great at it, you know, Tristan Wirfs was starting at right tackle, but Donovan Smith was out, not at OTAs. And you think, okay, maybe let's give him some refs at left tackle, but no, I'm not saying Tristan Wirfs couldn't do it. I'm just saying that, you know, it, it's, it's not the same. It's not as easy as just flipping a switch. And Fred Johnson really needs to show that he can handle those jobs. If he's going to beat out Josh Wells and I'm all for it. Cause Fred Johnson's only 24 years old. 
Josh Wells is 32 years old. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a huge and, difference. And, we we talked a lot about the Bucks wanting to get younger. Now we mostly talked about it at different positions, but of course, if you can get a backup offensive lineman at that age and and still mold them and and, and help them develop into a better offensive lineman, yeah, I'm all for that. Why not take a shot with a, a player that's you know only 24 years old? And all right, JC, we talked a lot about the offensive side of the ball. How many defensive guys, though? There's not too many defensive guys, but there are a couple of defensive guys that this season and then after the following season are going to be looking for some new deals, get a little extra cash. Now, if you have some cash in your pocket and you're not sure what to do with it, you need an advisor, the best place to go to is Amuni Financial. At Amuni Financial, we help you live in the now. Congratulations, we're so happy Thank for you. you. Thank you. And even though the now may feel very different, you still need to plan for the future. How's retirement treating you? Oh, just fantastic. I know I say it all the time, but you really got to come up to Colorado. Let's do it. All right. Yeah. We can help you develop that plan to keep you on track so you can still prepare for tomorrow, today. Amuni Financial. Plan ahead, stay ahead. Dude, where do we need to go, JC? We're going to Colorado, bro. We're going to Rado. Rado. Yeah, <laughs> folks, if you're listening to this, uh, Immunity Financial is the best. When it comes to uh, managing your family's wealth, go to Immunity Financial because it's simply more than just allocating your assets. Peter Report trusts Immunity Financial with our investments and retirement funds, and you should trust them too. Scott has a lot of his investment and retirement and uh, college funds for his children uh, with Immunity Financial. So make sure you call them at 1-800-868-6864. Talk to David or Mark. Uh, They're awesome people over there because they'll tell you about all the different kinds of services that they have. There's legacy planning, brokerage, and advisory services, retirement accounts, college savings, as I just mentioned, and a lot more. So once again, call one 800 868-6864 and get started with Immuni Financial today. Shout out Immuni Financial. I can't wait for the Bucs to eventually play the Denver Broncos in Denver. It's got to be coming up within the next three or four seasons. They played uh, out here, I think, last time, right? Then they play here. So I think... think Yeah, I think Drew Locke beat the Bucks, if I'm not mistaken. I'm yeah. sure someone in the chats uh, will talk about it. I think but, the uh, next trip out there is going to be out there, or it could even be. I'm not sure. Do they play the AFC? No, they play the AFC West this year. I was going to say yeah. uh, that's because they play the Chiefs. But before we get into the defensive side, guys, do us a huge favor. Make sure you're subscribing if you're on Inst- if you're on Twitter or Facebook watching. Pop over to YouTube, subscribe, like it. It helps our algorithm to get this show in front of more Bucks fans like yourself, more Pewter Report readers, uh, listeners, viewers. And while you're at it too, while you're at PewterReport.com, make sure you sign up for the Pewter Pulse, guys. I work there and I sign up for the Pewter Pulse. If every time we post an article, it goes right to your email and lets you know, hey, there's new article out. You'll never miss anything that we post. And also while you're there. Leave some comments, sign up for it and leave some comments on our stuff. Talk to us and, you know, give us your example. We'll, you know, some of us will interact with you too in the comments too, if you have questions. So there's always a way to get a hold of us, whether that's at peterreport.com in the comment section, whether that's shooting us DMs on Twitter. Uh, we're always open to answer your questions and talk, but hit those thumbs up button right now too. Please do. Please do. And we, yeah, we appreciate everyone that comments in here, 
leaves responses and everything like that. We, we really appreciate all of you guys because we couldn't do this without the pewter people. All right, JC, uh, the next play we're about to talk about on the defensive side of the ball is, right here. <laughs> is definitely a high caliber player that brings up, I don't want to say controversy because like he, he, he hasn't done anything bad or by anything uh, of that nature, but he's, he's a player that's polarizing, I think, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I want to preface it before I say his name. This is a player that is one of the better guys on this defense and is a leader of this defense. But because of that, we hold him to a little bit of a higher standard than we were than some of the other guys we were talking about, like the wide receivers. This guy is going to make the team, all right? There's there's no question there. But we're expecting more of him, especially when he has a contract coming up, not, not this season, but after the following season. And that is linebacker Devin White. Get Live 45. Get Live Stables. I love the rap song. I used it on one of the podcasts a, a while ago. But Devin White, he regressed a little bit from the Super Bowl winning season to this year. He struggled in the past with uh, his past coverage to the point that I believe it's Bruce Arian said that, oh, like he heard the media and everything like that. This year, too, I think he was even a little bit better in terms of stopping the pass, but it was the run game where I think he really struggled. And we saw that later in the season, too, especially in games when Levante David wasn't there to kind of clean up some of the messes going on. Like I remember that Jets game, the Jets ran the ball over and over and over against the, the box and really didn't really have any issues moving until they decided to QB sneak it late in the game. But the Jets are still going to go and do Jets things. I, I think one of the things that really sticks out for me, too, when talking about Devin White is the sack numbers were down. And to me, that doesn't concern me, especially after we spoke to Larry Foote. And he was saying that, you know, off-ball linebackers don't need to have nine sacks, which is what he had a season ago when the Bucs won the Super Bowl. Probably would have got to double digits, too, but he got COVID late in the year. This right. year, he only had three and a half sacks. He played in all 17 games. And again, the sacks don't really concern me because they're going to ask him to do other things. And when he blitz, this year as much, he didn't get home. Like, he would get stoned by the the the, the running back. So maybe they didn't send him as much. But had 128 tackles. No issues there too much. Eight, Only eight tackles for loss, though. So we talked about that he struggled in the run game. He wasn't making those splash plays. Only eight tackles for loss. And again, with the splash plays, no forced fumbles and no interceptions. So I want to see Devin White, the superstar Devin White. And let's not forget, he's still a good player. Like, he made the Pro Bowl this year. I know a lot of that's like fan vote and things like that. Um, Trevor Sikama, alumni, Peter Report, just had a story on Pro Football Focus that uh, we wrote about, too, what, what Trevor had to say about. He had three bucks listed as the top 25 players under the age of 25, it was Tristan Wirfs and Devin White was on there as well, along with Anton Winfield Jr. I believe it went Wirfs, Winfield Jr., right. and Devin White in that order. But Devin White, again, we hold him to a higher standard. We want him to be that star player. I don't think anyone could be Derek Brooks again, but we want him to be up there with the likes of Derek Brooks and, of course, Levante David, who should be a future Ring of Honor member. But right. Devin White, I think, is definitely a guy that needs to pick it up and turn it up a little bit this training camp. Yeah, I completely agree. And it goes back to him relying on your speed. And you hit the nail on the head, too. You know, just quickly while you were talking, pulling up his PFF numbers, his pass coverage grade went up pretty, it went up like five, six points, but his run defense grade went down almost 20 points. So, you know, he he didn't progress as much in the in the in the running game or he, or he 
uh, regressed in the running game, actually. And for Devin White, he relies so much on his speed, right? He's a true sideline yes. side linebacker, can chase guys down, is, is really always in a play. You always kind of see number 45 by a pile, whether he made the tackle or not. The problem I have with Devin White and, and Trevor Sikama, you know, pointed out perfectly is that he relies on his speed to make plays. And I asked Devin White in the exit interviews back, you know, what do you need to work on? What do you need to get better at? And he pretty much said, I need to, you know, be more accountable. I need to watch more film. I need to be able to, I, I play with all this aggressiveness, but I need to know when to, when to play aggressive and when not. I mean, he took out what three guys last year on his own team, you yeah. know, trying to be aggressive. So it's it's putting it all together for Devin White, and I and I'm really hoping that this is a year that he can move forward. Uh, Long lost Glazer asked if he's at OTAs. He was not at OTAs yesterday. He could have showed up. I'm not sure when he plans on being there. It is voluntary, but I would like to see him there sooner rather than later. To be honest with you, uh, he is one of the the bigger leaders, one of the smarter guys on the team. It's just you know when there's guys that like Grant Stewart, right, and KJ Britt. They don't have the level of um, they don't have the level of speed and level of talent, but they make up for it with their smarts, and they're still able to make plays and be put themselves in position to make plays because their read and react ability, their smarts ability, and they don't just rely on their traits. And that Devin White can sometimes just rely on his traits more so than what he's seen on film, more so than what he's diagnosed. And I think that gets him into trouble. And that's what we want to see is this perfect blend of both of them. And you're right. I'll never be Dever, Dever, uh, Derek Brooks. I'll never be Levante David probably. But if he can get there, I still think he's got the opportunity to be a top five inside linebacker in this off-ball linebacker, inside whatever you want to call in this league. I think he's that talented. It's just melding the mental and the physical together. He doesn't need to be them. He just needs to be his own Devin White. And there were the issues when he got into other players' ways, and it was just the over-aggressiveness. He just needs to find the right alley to bring that all together. So I don't want to sit here and just act like, oh, you know, there's all these bad things about ne uh, Devin White. There are a couple of negatives, but at the end of the day, like Devin White is a crucially important player to the Bucks defense. He's one of the best players they got. He's been a captain for multiple years, and he's still an extremely young player. I mean, he brings – we all talk about Nacho brings, like, the energy and stuff like that. But it's Devin White as well that brings the swag, brings the bravado that this defense needs. And he's a very confident player. He believes in himself, but he believes in the players around him too. So, you know, he's he's the guy – he's talked about it a lot as well too where um, he wants – everyone talks about, like, oh – you know, you would love to have Brady on the field with a minute left in the game because, you know, Brady's going to go down the field and, and make the huge play. But Devin White's the guy that he said, no, I want the defense on the field. I want the defense being the ones to get to the quarterback to close it out, to stop it. We saw that. It wasn't necessarily closing it out because it was only a blowout. But in the, in the Super Bowl, yeah. shout out to Devin White because he won me a bunch of money <laughs> in the Super Bowl because you do the Super Bowl boxes. The Bucks won the game 31-9. to So I had Bucks one, Chiefs nine. That was the end of the third quarter. No one scored in that fourth quarter because Devin White got the interception late in the game. So I won the third quarter and the fourth quarter. After Devin White made the interception through his helmet. So shout out to Devin White for that. And again, that's what we want to see this year. We want to see the splash plays. We want to see more forced fumbles, more interceptions. And see what happens with the with the sacks. And that's a big difference too 
Again, because he's going to have Larry Foote as the inside linebackers coach and the co-defensive coordinator, where last year he had Mike Caldwell, who went to Jacksonville to be the defensive coordinator. So I think having Larry Foote, a man that doesn't sugarcoat anything, he's oh, no. he just gets straight to the point. I think that's going to be a huge help for Devin White this year. I'm very excited for Devin White because I'm optimistic that he's going to have a bounce-back year and uh, take it to another level. He was already a Pro Bowl player, but we'll see what else he can do from there. Yeah, perhaps I totally agree with everything. I, I think, you know, you look at what he did in 2020, had a down year in 2020, but Levante had a down year a bit too in 2021, talked about that tackles for losses. I'm thinking that this year is going to be a bounce back. He talked about wanting to do it. You know, you talk to talk, walk to walk, get your butt in camp and let's see you do it. But perhaps someone even more polarizing on this team <laughs> on defense than, than Devin White in his play is Sean Murphy bunting. I mean, this is a guy who last year, his campaign all offseason was all pro, all pro, pro bowl, all pro. And we heard Devin Ross say, I mean, not Devin Ross. <laughs> Kevin Ross. <laughs> a lot Kevin, of Kevins and Devins on this, uh, on this show today. Kevin Ross, the cornerbacks coach say pretty much, you know, that's the mentality we want to instill in these guys. And it, I mean, it didn't work out. The first game, he was getting picked on all by by Dak Prescott before he disfitted his elbow. Then missed, I think, what was it, nine to nine or ten games, and and just struggled. And he's struggled with consistency ever since stepping into one of those starting jobs. You know, he was playing over Jamal Dean on the outside in twenty uh, in twenty twenty. Sometimes, you know, more of now playing more of in the slot with Dean taking that that jump if he can stay healthy. It, it's really going to be a put up or shut up year for him because they brought someone in, not just they didn't bring in a, a like a typical slot guy to you know replace him, but they brought in obviously drafted the versatile Zion Malcolm who can play inside and outside. But Logan Ryan is coming at your neck for snaps in the nickel. I mean he he's been one of the better nickel cornerbacks going back to his time with the Patriots too. So versatile guy and if Sean Murphy Bunton can't put it all together and take that next step and stay healthy and put it on the field I mean, he he's not he's not getting cut, guys. He's not getting cut, even though Delaney balled out. He's not getting cut, but he needs to prove that hey, he's he's worth the contract, or else they could potentially move on from him this year. And I think that's a big likely scenario if he doesn't do it. Yeah, I would put SMB a little bit into the category that we talked about earlier with Scotty Miller, where I think the injury played a lot more into a down year than I would say most other players. But yeah, there's no question when he was healthy too. He got beat in the slot, and he doesn't have the security this year of, all right, well, if SMB's not going to play there, who else is? As you just said, Logan Ryan being there now, right. that's that, that's going to be over his shoulder the whole time, all right? He needs to step it up because if he doesn't, Logan Ryan's going to be right there. I mean, SMB did not have an interception last year. He had the he had the great run in the, in the postseason when he had an interception in every game up until yeah. uh, the Super Bowl itself, too. And as awesome as that was, they'll always go down in Bucks history. And whether you like it or not, the NFL, and as in most places, is what have you done for me lately in sports? You know, all sports is what have you done for me lately? And SMB, again, because he got hurt. I mean, you couldn't start the season any worse than getting injured like that early into oh, the first game God. of the season. Seriously. Literally the first game of the whole year, like Thursday night football before anyone else even played. So. I am I'm certainly worried for him in terms of I think Logan Ryan's going to to win that job, but I, I'll cut him a little bit of slack early in training camp because he had all the the injury issues that went on. But he's been here at OTAs. We'll see how he responds in these these next couple of weeks. Now, JC, there was one other player 
that uh, you had on this list, and he's the last player we'll talk about and then finish up this podcast. I don't necessarily agree with it, but we can agree to disagree. You want to talk about the last guy you have on this list? Yeah, and, and I'll, I'm curious to see what you guys think in the comments too, but yeah. the last guy I have on this list is, is Logan Hall. Um, I think he needs to have a really big camp, and, and it's, you know, the Bucks aren't on a team here where they are can afford to just let him develop throughout the season, right? You're in Tom Brady's last season. You need to have, you know, considerable, reliable playmakers at every level. Um, if not playmakers, just competent players. If this was a team like Jacksonville or 2019 or whatever, where Jameis was the quarterback, then yeah, sure, you let him make his bumps and bruises and mistakes. So for me, I think Logan Hall really has to have a good camp, a good OTAs, good camp, show that he's got understanding in the playbook, shows that he can not only just work against the veteran talent, the strong veteran talent that, that they have, um, and also just continue to show improvement and that he can handle that role. If for whatever reason, by mid-training camp, uh, closer towards the end of the training camp, you know, two-thirds, three-fourths the way through, he hasn't making that step or proved to the coaches that that he can be the guy for a full 17-game season. I think that they the you know that's when they pick up the phone and if Sue is still available, I guess you know there was rumors that he was receiving interest from the Bengals and Raiders. If Sue's still available or Sheldon Richardson or Akeem Hicks or one of these veterans, you call them up and say, Hey, we we need we need we need insurance policy here. And that would relegate Logan Hall more into a rotational role for his rookie year, more so than saying, Hey, we want you to be the guy. Now I think the Bucks have every and the coaching staff have every intense <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Uh, that last comment just had me laughing. Um, I think we've got every intention of him wanting to be the guy um, and take over that three tech position and not have to rely on get younger, get faster. Exactly like they said. But you can't if you can't rely on him. If you don't know if he's if he's a question mark heading into the season, and you can add a more known commodity, a positive thing that you know what you're getting, and use him as a rotational role as rookie season. I, I think that's the play. So, I mean, he needs to have a good camp. And I, I'd put JTS in that slightly as well, too. There's still a, a bevy of veteran pass rushers. You've highlighted them before. I've highlighted some of them as well. If, if these two guys, these young guys, struggle a little bit in camp and, and the Bucks in an all-in and Brady's last season decide, hey, we we at least need some insurance here if, not, if, you know, if they falter starting. Um, I think they both need real big camps. I just think Hall is in the situation that pretty much almost every rookie is in where they're still trying to figure out the NFL, how to play in this league. So there's going to be the rookie mistakes. Now, he's in a different situation where he's coming in and is expected to produce on a winning team right away. As you mentioned, the teams that are at the top of the draft, they just they just want a, a talented player. Now, because he's a rookie, again, like I don't see the difference between, okay, we want I see a little bit of the difference, but okay, we want Logan Hall to play well versus Rashad White can kind of learn a little bit more and then get his opportunities. Hall is already going to be in that rotational role, and we'll see if the Bucs bring in another veteran defensive tackle. But even if they don't, I think the Bucs can get away. We saw it two years ago when Vita Vea got hurt and, and Dom Kinsu took up a lot of the slack. I understand Sue's not here, but this is the reversal of it where – no Sue, but you're going to get Vita Vea, I think, picking it up even more, taking more of a leadership role, as we heard him discuss yesterday when we were at at OTAs. But I think the Bucs can get away with, if they're not fully confident in Logan Hall yet, and I think it's going to be a learning process. Like I don't expect Hall to be coming out of the gates 
no. exciting everyone. I think gradually as it goes from July to early August to middle of August to late August, you're going to see that progression. But I think especially early on too, and I understand the Bucks' schedule is, is quite difficult this year, especially in the first four, but Tampa Bay can get away with relying on Will Golston to play a couple extra snaps than maybe they normally would, or Nacho getting in there, or putting Will Golston in more pass rushing situations. I mean, that's what they said in the first place, why they wanted Logan Hall is because he got that quick first step as a pass rusher. So if he begins his time with the Bucs and he's just going in on third downs, I don't necessarily think that's going to be the worst thing. But I, I, ta- I understand the point that you're making of he's going to contribute right away, so they need him to be up to speed. For me, it's just that left that left side of the line, right? I mean, you look at the left side of the defensive line, and, and you've got Logan Hall and you got Joe Tryon. Both of those yeah. guys. Uh, I mean, that could be, you know, and you face some pretty good. I mean, depending on Kamara's situation, you're facing Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, Alvin Kamara, uh, Aaron Johnson, AJ Dillon, and then you're facing Clyde Edwards, Edwards Hilaire and Ronald Jones. The first four games, not the, I just threw Ronald Jones. That's a joke. <laughs> but I mean, you know, so it's it's you're going to be tested. By, by some of these running backs right out the gate. So, um, you know, it's a lot of youth right there, and, and you are in a win-now season. So uh, I just think they both need to have really strong camps to show that every but that they are um, at the level where they need to be or it might coerce the Bucks to say, hey, we need to look at somebody else and bring someone else in here because Cam Gill doesn't move the needle for me. And Anthony Nelson, yeah, you had one great season. I really like Nelly as a person, as a player. But, I, you know, consistency is there. If, if he's the guy that has to go in, if JTS struggles or, you know, you're relying on Nacho to be that starter, I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried. So I think both of these guys need to have great camps to convince the Bucks not to go out and sign veterans to at least, if not compete with them, at least be insurance policies for them and, and eat into their some of their snaps. Sure. I just see it as it's not going to be an issue if it's only for a couple of games and then finally they think it's enough to let Logan Hall go and, and be the guy. If it's for a full season, yeah, then you might run into some issues, but that's why you have those uh, insurance policies. And I'm sure by the time training camp gets here, we're going to hear of another defensive tackle that'll at least be in the rotation yeah. to compete, might not necessarily – go and make the team, but at least another uh, another guy that's going to be in there to push everyone else there. And um, as we make a push towards 9,000 subscribers and hopefully get to 10K right around when um, training camp gets here, just want to remind everyone again to please go and hit the like button on these videos, on some of the other videos we have of hearing from various coaches and players. It helps with our algorithm. It gets all of the Pewter Report people knowing about when our podcasts and videos are coming up. So make sure you hit and like hit, hit the like button. Make sure you subscribe, hit that button as well too. And make sure you go to pewterreport.com. We got a lot of great content out right now. A couple things from Todd Bowles, Cam Brate as well too. We'll have some more content up tonight. Sign and, up for the Pulse too. Yeah, sign up for the Peter Pulse, Peter Pulse. And again, we will be back tomorrow for Thursday's episode. So for JC Allen, I'm Matt Matera saying thank you everyone for watching. We'll catch you tomorrow at 4 p.m. for another episode of the Pewter Report Podcast. Catch you later. Peace out. See ya. Good night. Bye-bye. Adios. Later. Out.